Tyranny? What's that? Most of our people don't even realize that we're living under a tyranny. As we actually discussed two weeks ago when we started this article by Bertrand Compare entitled Christianity in the Old Testament. So we'll be doing part two of that. No Michael again today, so I'll continue with the document by Bertrand Compare. Uh, he is off hunting. Man, he's been hunting a lot. <laughs> Maybe he could be hunting Nephilim, <laughs> but I don't think they're very edible. So hopefully he bags another deer or elk or moose or something like that so that he can sustain himself over the next few cold and dark months in Sweden. Welcome, everybody. Pastor Eli James here. This is Bloodlines, December 18th, 2022. And I see Nimblehorse has uh, <laughs> a, a little meme here with a picture of a deer uh, with antlers. You don't need 30 rounds to hunt with, true, but the founding fathers didn't write the Second Amendment because the deer were coming, <laughs> right? Very good. We're good at putting out good memes here. So the deer hunter, yeah. Yeah, Michael is a deer hunter for sure. And uh, hello, everybody in the chat room. Hello, listeners. Okay, so we're going to be doing part... Oh, first, a quick update on Paul English's surgery. Uh, He had the operation yesterday. It went well. And uh, although, however, it took uh, two and a half times longer than usual because, as I think I related, his bladder burst. And when your bladder bursts, it causes a mess in the abdominal cavity. And uh, after removing the bladder, then they had to clean out the abdominal cavity. And I'm sure they have uh, all kinds of mini tools, like a mini shop vac and a mini camera (laughs) to guide the shop vac into all those uh, recesses of the abdominal cavity that had to be cleaned of pus and other stuff, maybe even a few gallstones that needed to be cleaned out. So anyway, I talked to him or I messaged him on Skype after the surgery. He's in good spirits and he's just going to have to take a while to recover from that. And because uh, we need our, uh, we need our uh, master of ceremony, so to speak, our, our WordPress operator to keep these, this website running and we had a, a hiccup in the operation of Eurofolk Radio Thursday and Friday. We had the stream was being interrupted. Had a uh, 
uh, three seconds on, one second off, three seconds on, one second off, and that was really annoying. But that seems to have fixed itself, and uh, you know things are good to go. But we need to have our webmaster uh, available for any major hiccups like that so we can correct things. Also, the Voice of uh, Liberty show was having uh, issues as well, independently of the rest of the website, because uh, they had uh, up, I shouldn't say upgraded. They had changed to Windows 11, and Windows 11 caused all kinds of problems with Rick uh, Rick Tyler's show to the extent that it messed all uh, all the settings up, including the the uh, voice meter program we use as a mixing board. So they had to uh, uninstall all of that, reinstall it, and then I had to walk them through the process of getting everything up and running again. So I think we were successful in doing that. So Monday morning, the Rick Tyler show will be uh, live on the air and uh, fully functioning. So we're looking forward to that. So that's a quick update on the status of Eurofolk Radio. And I don't know how Speak Free Radio is doing. I think uh, it's not uh, as, uh, I guess, more automated. doesn't require Paul's constant presence as much as Eurofolk Radio does. But in any case, uh, that, that's where we're at. And we're, but we're still on the air. We're, we're still kicking Jew butt. <laughs> okay. Okay, so... Uh, uh, yeah, right. Uh, so the, the YCP, I guess, last night didn't play. It was just music. So I'll have to check that. Uh, it's usually not my job to, <laughs> to double-check all the shows. It, it, it's, it's automated, folks, which is a good thing. That means I could uh, go in and have dinner <laughs> as opposed to constantly yak, yak, yak. But I'll have to double-check all of that. And I think it should be everything should be good to go uh, from this point. So let's continue here now with Christianity in the Old Testament by Bertrand Comperay. And part one was recorded two weeks ago. If you want to later on go there and check under the drop-down box for Bloodlines and check out part one of Christianity in the Old Testament. Uh, we left off approximately at this point. We didn't get far into the document. This is uh, maybe one-eighth of the way down into the document where I'll pick it up again because it's very good for review. Let me pick it up right here where Comparay says, Christianity is the central theme of the Old Testament. I put the link to this article in the chat room. You may have to scroll up a little bit to find it and click on it. And I'm I'm continuing where it says, Christianity is the central theme of the Old Testament, especially in the writing of Moses and Isaiah. The deepest religious truths therein are expressed symbolically in the sacrifices and rituals. 
since they are not explained in words of one syllable for the benefit of the lazy, I think he's talking about Judeo-Christians, the uninterested and the shallow, yeah, he's still talking about them, they have not been perceived by churchmen whose religion never gets beyond mere emotionalism. These are, Jesus saved me, <laughs> right? <laughs> Walk down the aisle and be saved. These are the men who tell us that God was mistaken in the Old Testament, that his plan would not work because men in their wickedness were stronger than God. Well, what he means here, he's talking about dispensationalism, which teaches that the Old Testament was written to by for about the Jews, and the New Testament, because the Jews murdered the Messiah, that they uh, didn't accept Jesus, and therefore the church replaces Israel. And of course, we know, we teach the covenant message here. No such thing ever happened. The Israelites, the true Israelites, did participate in the murder of Christ, but it was the Edomite Jews who instigated the whole scenario and put him to death. So, And this does not change the fact that the covenant message, which was given only to true Israel and no other people, that did not change in the New Testament. It has taken us the last 2,000 years since the first advent to figure out who we are, to reclaim our identity, and take away the reins of Scripture from the Jews and give it back to ourselves, the rightful Israelites. So there's so much going on. There's so much false doctrine being purveyed about the Bible, both Old and New Testament. They all ignore the covenant message. We're the only denomination. Christian identity is the only denomination that teaches the true covenant message. And that's what the Bible is about. It's the covenants between Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and us, and actually between Yahweh and his people, Israel. So that's what the Bible's all about. Uh, Any deviation from that covenant message is a distortion of the Bible. Okay, so let's continue. These are the men who tell us that God was mistaken in the Old Testament, that his plan would not work because men in their wickedness were stronger than God. They would not let him carry out his plans or fulfill his prophecies so that he had to abandon all this and start over again in the New Testament. Isn't that an inspiring religion? They call themselves New Testament Christians, but they either won't read or won't believe the New Testament either. That's correct. They won't believe the New Testament either. Where Jesus said, I come not but for the lost sheep or the exiled sheep of the house of Israel. They don't want to believe that. They don't want to believe uh, James 1, 1, where he says to all 12 tribes scattered abroad, greetings. No, they believe the only surviving tribe is the Jews. And they're not, they're not even one of the tribes. In that same Testament, New Testament, Jesus Christ, to whom they render up lip service, calls their attention to Christianity in the writings of Moses. In the fifth chapter of John, he twice called attention to the, of the Jews to this fact, saying, quote, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. And it is they which testify of me. Yeah, those scriptures testify of him. 
The earliest book of the New Testament, Matthew, was not written until 10 years after Christ spoke, so the scriptures he told them to read were necessarily those of the Old Testament. And the modern Judeo-Christians don't even understand that. They believe that the uh, New Testament was given to the apostles in, in complete form right after his death. At least that's how they behave. That's, that's how they think. But that was not the case. And as I have been uh, trying to explain uh, on the Restoration Hour, it was fully two centuries, uh, second century A.D., before the name of Yahweh, the Tetragrammaton, was no longer being copied into the New Testament uh, copies. And uh, they, they came more and more, how should I put this, not necessarily paganized, but attention to details such as retaining the name of Yahweh in the New Testament was lost because those New Testament Christians didn't appreciate Hebrew or Aramaic anymore. They were only Greek speakers. So they they dropped the the Tetragrammaton out of the New Testament. And we have proved, and during the Restoration Hour shows, uh, part one is up on uh, the website already in the download sections on Restoration Hour. And I will upload part two sometime later today. So we have proof that the Tetragrammaton, written in Paleo-Hebrew, right to left, was in the New Testament scriptures for at least 200 years, if not longer. But since the later scribes did not appreciate Hebrew and Aramaic, they changed the language and changed it into Theos and Lord. So they dropped the... uh, you know, the Old Testament name of Yahweh. So it's not true that the that the Israelites of the New Testament disregarded the sacred names. They absolutely did regard them, and we have the proof here at Eurofolk Radio. So let's continue here. So lip service. <laughs> Modern Christianity is a religion of lip service. Lip service, not... True devotion, not true scholarship. It's lip service, and that's the case. I mean, it's, and that's not even a mild criticism. It's even worse than that. It's far worse than that. The mainstream Christianity has simply not paid close enough attention to the actual Hebrew and Greek literature, which has always been available to them. They just disregard it. They create a denominational gospel, and that gospel bears virtually no relationship to the original Hebrew and Greek. That's the reality. That is the actual reality. But Paul told us in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and in other places that there would be a great falling away from the two faith, especially in these end times, and here we are. Okay, so, and Christ told them, those non-believers in his own day, there is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom you trust, for had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Can you be a New Testament Christian if you won't believe Jesus Christ's own words? 
Again, we find the essence of Christianity clearly symbolized in the origin of the Passover. You remember Moses had repeatedly demanded of the Pharaoh of Egypt that he let the people of Israel go, and the Pharaoh had each time refused, despite the many miracles Moses worked, bringing down plagues upon Egypt to show his authority. Well, there are a lot of people in New Testament times who refused to believe, even though Christ, Yahshua, had many, many uh, miracles, even raising people from the dead healing people on the spot, walking on water. What does it take for these people to believe? And, of course, we know the the great falling away in modern times is not just within false Christianity because we have the modern movements called socialism, materialism, communism, all these materialistic philosophies that have been pervade And many covenant Israelites have fallen for these modern doctrines, let alone Judeo-Christianity. And there's been a resurgence of paganism among our people as well. So, talk about a falling away. A true falling away of our people from the true faith. And there is no hope anywhere in any of these groups unless they finally return to the Scriptures appreciate the covenant message, and join our ranks. I'm sure hoping that this will happen. The the sooner the better. So let's continue. So, but again, against, all right, so let me start the sentence over here about the, the fact that Moses had performed miracles, and uh, the Pharaoh would not believe. (laughs) Okay, you remember, Moses had repeatedly demanded of the Pharaoh of Egypt that he let the people of Israel go, and the Pharaoh had each time refused, despite the many, many miracles Moses worked, bringing down plagues upon Egypt to show his authority. So, are we experiencing plagues coming down around us again? Uh, I think we are, folks. I think we are. There's, we're, we're surrounded by plagueism called Judeo-Christianity, called Big Pharma, etc., etc., etc. We are seeing plagueism just like the Israelites experienced at the first Passover, at the first Exodus. It's happening again today. The plagues are coming to us, as Peter said, Judgment begins in the house of Israel, and our people, the white race, are being plagued with COVID more than any other people. That's why, the reason why is because the Jews are targeting us. They want to eliminate us so that we can't be a thorn in their side any longer. However, we're not going to give up. Uh, Nimblehorse has a post in here, among the purest genetically isolated North Americans, in a most restricted recent sense, are those with ancestral, ancestral Welsh surnames. Of course, we have been teaching here at Eurofolk Radio that Welsh is the most, the closest extant language to ancient Hebrew around. Okay, so such names as Jones, Lewis, Owens. This is Encyclopedia Britannica. 
Coal mining and the manufacture of iron, steel, and tin plate are important in Wales. The Walloons, uh, German, Welsh, W-E-L-S-C-H, Dutch, Walsh, English, Welsh, live in Belgium, Luxembourg, and France primarily and are ironsmiths by trade. Liege in Wallonia produces firearms, the oldest gunmakers in the world. Beretta have been making guns in the Lombard region, Levite, of Italy for 500 years. Hence, instruments of cruelty are in their habitations, Genesis 49.5. Some Walloons live in Malmody, Prussia, named after the Malites, Numbers 3.20, of Merari. Okay, and so this is British, from the website, British Israel. Uh, So, thank you. Uh, Again, the covenant message demands that you understand that the European Israelites, the Anglo-Saxon, Celtic, Caucasian, and people are, in fact, the true Israelites of the world, and no one else can claim to be descended from Israel except us. So let's continue. So, so God told Moses that one more plague would be sent upon Egypt, which would surely convince Pharaoh that he should let the Christians of Israel, children of Israel, go. All right, well, how many more plagues do we need to have today before we realize that we are being judged? That all the prophecies of judgment are coming true. These are the last last seven plagues, <laughs> okay? These are the plagues of the book of Revelation come upon us full force. Quote, Thus saith Yahweh, About midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt, and all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon the throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. But against any the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast, that ye may know how Yahweh doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. Yeah, and he puts a difference between Israel and all the other peoples of the world as well. It's segregation, folks. It's called segregation. But because so many of our people don't want to believe that we're supposed to practice segregation and they have mingled their seed with non-Israelites and blacks and Latinos and you name it, they have rebelled against Yahweh. They believe they know better than Yahweh. So even if your family has had that happen, don't condemn those people. Most of them made a mistake under the illusion that that race mixing is good. So all they, they have to repent of that sin and just carry on as best they can and return to, at least in their hearts, Believe in the truth and don't commit that sin anymore. But let's continue. Note what this means. Because the stubborn wickedness of the Egyptians, the death penalty, was to come upon them. Yet the children of Israel, who also were imperfect and sinful, were to escape this penalty. There was only one way in which they could be spared, by the ritual of the Passover. This Passover certainly symbolizes Christianity as the way of salvation from death. Yes. And the Jews, 
do not believe in Christianity. The Jews hate Christianity, and they totally reject Yahshua Messiah. The instructions for this ritual were given in Exodus 12, quote, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. Now this tenth day was part of the ritual that Yahshua fulfilled in him in himself. That was that's what the Catholics call a Palm Sunday. But it was not a Sunday, it was in the middle of the week. And that was the tenth day after the beginning of the year. And that was uh, the selection day. So Palm Sunday, so-called, symbolizes selection day, the tenth day of the month. So this is the day on which Yahweh the Father selected his son Yahshua to be the Passover lamb. It's a very significant moment in the New Testament. Most of the churches totally ignore the selection day. Let's continue. According to the house of their fathers, a lamb, they should choose a lamb from their own flock. And ye shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole kahal of the congregation, that is the whole group of the congregation of Israel, shall kill it in the evening of Passover day. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two-sided posts and upon the upper doorposts of the houses, wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in the night, roast with fire and unleavened bread. Now, of course, we don't have to do that anymore because Yahshua fulfilled that Passover ritual. But we were supposed to commemorate it every year. And we should be commemorating all the feast days all through the year. And we'll probably do another a show about that coming up uh, near Christmas because we at Identity, we don't celebrate Christmas. We, we worship Yahshua every day. Okay, but a lot of Christians just worship him one day a year or maybe twice a year, Christmas and Easter, right? They're, 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 they're two holiday Christians. Uh, I guess that's, that sums up New Testament Christianity. All right, and then roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs shall they eat it. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the, the death angel will pass over them. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy when I smite the land of Egypt. Now, is he going to smite the whole earth at the judgment day? He sure will. Folks, history will be repeating itself. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, okay? Even though we do not practice the bloodletting, we don't have to kill a lamb and smear the blood on the lintels and the doorposts anymore. However, we have to retain it as a memorial. And that's what happened, of course, on the Last Supper. And ye shall keep it for a feast to Yahweh throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. And that's what we in Covenant Israel do. This symbolized Jesus Christ giving his life to save those who believe in him. 
This festival was always kept in the Hebrew month of Nisan. This meal gave the Israelites strength for their forced march that night and all the next day, leaving Egypt in the Exodus. The lamb's blood had to be placed outside the door on the two doorposts and the lintel above the front door of each house. Although they were cruelly mistreated slaves in the land of their enemies, they could not eat the Passover supper in secret. Salvation from death came only to those who publicly proclaimed their faith that the blood of the lamb would save them. This is clear New Testament Christianity. First, the necessity for public confession of faith in the blood of the Lamb. In Matthew 10, 32-33, Jesus Christ himself says, quote, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. There are a lot of Israelites out there who don't know they're Israelites who need to come to grips with what is being said here, and the New Testament Christians, so-called, need to clean up their act, stop worshiping Jews, stop worshiping a Jewish Jesus, and get with the program of covenant Christianity. See Luke 12, 8-9. In Romans 10, 9, Paul reminds us, quote, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Okay, so here's an instance where God would be Yahweh, and Lord before Jesus Christ would be Theos. Eating the flesh of the lamb to gain strength for the great effort of the exodus from the world and evil into salvation and the kingdom of God is again clear Christian symbolism. In the sixth chapter of John, Jesus says, quote, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Of course, the world being Christian Israel. You know, we did a, a number of shows on John 3.16, showing that there are two different worlds. There's the world of Israel, and there's a world of the heathen, who are more susceptible to Jewish lies. So, Again, the covenant message is the only one that makes any sense at all in terms of interpreting Scripture. So, we will see. <laughs> Those of you who are expecting Christmas presents on December 25th, which is only a week away, well, don't worry. What do you need? What do you need besides your health, right? Besides your health, wealth, and knowledge of who you are. If you have those three things, you are way ahead of everybody else on the planet. Okay? So, in fact, you know, this, this garbage festival the Jews call Hanukkah, the festival of lights, that's not what it meant at all. That, first of all, it's not a Jewish feast. That was a Judahite feast. That celebrates the fact that the Maccabees 
cleansed the temple and the altar that was, uh, you know, besmirched by the Greeks when they sacrificed a pig on the altar. Then the, the Maccabees fought hard to get rid of the Greeks and put them out of business. And then they, they cleansed the altar, and that was the, the festival of of cleansing is more uh, appropriate. Uh, a, re- a rededication of the altar had nothing to do with lights. The reason the Jews call it the festival of lights is because they're imitating Christmas with all our holiday decorations and lights, okay? And uh, those candles on those Christmas trees, real candles that every once in a while burn <laughs> burn our houses down, right? <laughs> so we invented electric lights, and even some of those electric lights uh, set fire to the Christmas trees and burn our houses down. So skip all that. <laughs> you can skip all that, right? Just... Just show uh, honor to Yahshua on that day. That's all you need to do. All right. And then if you want to celebrate in other ways, you know, because so many Christians, that's the only time of the year, like I said, Christmas and Easter, the only time of the year they actually give him a second thought. Isn't that sad? Isn't that really sad? But it's a symptom of our apostasy. Let's continue. Perhaps some of you are wondering about the command in Exodus 12:24, quote, And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. Are we violating God's law when we do not celebrate Passover as such today? No, for this reason you will note that the Passover ritual was an ordinance. All the religious rituals were stated as ordinances. There are four grades of divine law. One, well, but actually it says in the verse quoted that we will commemorate it. It will be a memorial forever. Okay, since the, since Yahshua had to fulfill the Passover ritual, it meant that we no longer have to shed the blood. And I'm sure that's part of what uh, Bertrand Caporet is getting at here. Now, it still is an ordinance forever, and even circumcision uh, that uh, the, the f- cutting off of the foreskin, the blood ritual, is no longer required, but the circumcision of the heart is required, which means you have to give up your hard heart, you know, uh, and become a, let's put it this way, be, be therefore wise as serpents, yet gentle as doves. You have to understand who you are, and who the enemy is. And if you don't achieve that status, there's little likelihood that you will get into the kingdom, certainly not as an Israelite of the government of the New Jerusalem, which will come down and rest upon the earth, and we, the 144,000 Israelites, will administer the kingdom right here on earth. So let's continue here. So, there are four grades of divine law. One, the commandments, which are the greatest rules governing man's relation to his God. Two, the statutes, which are the rules for governing the nation, including many of the rules of man's relation to his fellow man. The judgments, that number three, 
which are the rules telling judges how to decide cases between man and man, and four, the ordinances, which are the rules for the religious rituals and ceremonies. Also um, among the ordinances and judgments are specific instances of various crimes committed in the Old Testament and the punishments given. So to give you, I guess you could call those precedents, that whoever commits such a sin should be punished in such and such a way, okay? Because there were only two types of law, two types of judgments among the Israelites. One was death. Any sin that deserved a death penalty would require the death penalty. And the other sins were punished by the Israelite having to, if he could not make recompense to the person sinned against, he would have to serve as an indentured servant for a number of years to make good to the victim. Those are the only two types of judgments that were in Scripture. They didn't have to go to court uh, with a Jewish judge and served 20 years for a crime that was ca- actually, you know, uh, caused by a Jew. So, no, this was very simple. There was no such thing as prisons. They only had ho- temporary holding cells for uh, for murderers. And, and the community had to, you know, make sure that the uh, the offender didn't run away. Although even there, there was the sanctuary cities uh, that were housed by, run by Levites. And especially if that potential murderer, the man accused of murder, was innocent, that he was allowed to go to a sanctuary city so that the uh, avenger of blood, the kinsman who can uh, avenge the blood of the victim, would not be able to get to get to him. So that there had to be a trial, and so. And that trial process was taken care of by the, the Levites and the Sanhedrin, the, the Judahite Sanhedrin, not the Jewish Sanhedrin, of course. So let's continue here. So the, 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 those were the only two types of punishments. You either suffered a death penalty or you had to make restitution to the victim. And however that was done, th- those were set up in the ordinances and judgments. So let's continue. The Ten Commandments, the statutes, and the judgments are the rules which are forever necessary for a good life in this world, and they are still in force. But the ordinances govern only the religious ceremonies and rituals, and all of these were symbolic of the coming of of Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Since he had not come in Old Testament times, all the symbolism of the rituals looked to the future. But after Jesus Christ had actually come, We cannot go on proclaiming our faith that our Redeemer has not yet come, but will come in the future. Well, that's what the Jews do, right? They're still proclaiming that their Messiah is yet to come. In fact, they're proclaiming he has come. If you're paying attention to Jewish uh, headlines, you know, and uh, even though I don't watch television anymore, you you see plenty of uh, this stuff on the internet that the Jews claim that their Messiah has come. Some hook-nosed kike rabbi with a big old bushy beard. 
has come and he's going to save the Jews from the rest of the world. I don't think so, folks. He's certainly not going to walk on water. So anyway, because this is, they need to proclaim this because they want to re, restart the animal sacrifices in their so-called third temple. That's what they want to do. And any Christian who, any Judeo-Christian who supports this activity is actually denying that Yahshua is the Messiah, that he died for Israel's sins. They are denying that if they accept the Jewish third temple and if they accept blood sacrifice all over again. The reason Yahshua, Yahweh had that second temple destroyed is so that the Jews could not continue offering animal sacrifices there. That's why he destroyed that temple. And Paul clearly tells us that we, true Israel, are the new temple. We are the temple of Yahweh. We don't need no stinking brick and mortar temple anymore. We are that temple. Yes, so can you see the vast difference between true Christianity and Jewish Christianity? The differences are enormous. Absolutely enormous. And the Judeo-Christians don't see it. So let's continue. Let me repeat this sentence because this is very true. But after Jesus Christ had actually come... We cannot go on proclaiming our faith that our Redeemer has not yet come, but will come in the future. That would be a rejection of Jesus Christ, who has already come. Therefore, only the form of the ceremony, not its eternal truth or its full ritual presentation, only in memorial form, I would put it that way, okay, he says that in the next section here, is changed to a new form. The Lord's Supper or Communion, which proclaims our faith in the Redeemer, who has already come. It is still the same eternal truth about the same Redeemer. It does not reject any of the truth implied in the Passover. It merely proclaims this as already accomplished. And that's the distinction between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. There are certain things prophesied in the Old Covenant that would be fulfilled before the judgment day, and that was fulfilled in the days of Yahshua Messiah. Okay? Now, that all that was fulfilled by the spring feast days. The fall feast days will be fulfilled at the second coming. And believe me, folks, it's going to be just as dramatic as it was in the Exodus and, and at the first advent. Very, very dramatic. So what happened in Palestine at the first advent is going to affect the entire planet at the second coming. Be ready for even harder times. Be ready for even harder times because the economies of the world will collapse. There will be earthquakes, fire raining down from heaven. There will be uh, prominences of the sun that taking out the planetary electric grid and your cell phone will not work and your landline will probably not work anymore either. 
it's going to be starting from scratch all over again. A house cleaning. That's the judgment day, folks. It's going to be brutal for sinners. It's going to be absolutely brutal for sinners. So prepare yourselves. It's not far away. (laughs) Okay. All the symbolism of the rituals look to the future. But after Jesus Christ had actually come, we cannot be proclaiming a faith that will be coming in the future. No. But there are still many prophecies yet to be fulfilled, and we have to prepare ourselves accordingly. It is still the same eternal truth, that is, the New Testament is still the same eternal truth about the same Redeemer. It does not reject any of the truth implied in the Passover. It merely proclaims that this is already accomplished. As I said, the Passover was on the 14th day of the Hebrew month, Nisan. The Passover lambs were killed and dressed in the afternoon, ready for that evening's Passover supper. They were selected on the 10th day, and they were sacrificed on the 14th day, although they were being dressed in the evening just before the 14th day, because that's how it worked out in Egypt. So they were killed and dressed in the afternoon before the Passover supper, getting ready for it. Your King James Version Bible wrongly translates this as in the evening, but the Hebrew said between the evenings, which meant between the time when the sun first started toward sunset, that is at noon, and the time when it finished, it's going down. So yeah, it took all afternoon for that lamb, which was selected on the 10th day. So on the 13th day, toward the end of the 13th day, from noon toward evening, When the 14th day began, the Israelites had to slaughter that lamb, dress it, and get it ready for cooking. That's what they had to do. And that can take a while. I've never done that myself, (laughs) but I can imagine that will take a while. All right, so let's continue. Yeah, your King James, okay, so let's, uh, let me start that sentence over. Your King James Version Bible wrongly translates this as in the evening, but the Hebrew said between the evenings, which meant between the time when the sun first started toward sunset, that is at noon, and the time when it was finished, it's going down. Jesus Christ was crucified soon after soon after noon, and he died about 3 o'clock p.m. The Bible says about the ninth hour. The Hebrews divided the night into watches. And the, day, and the day into 12 hours, beginning at sunrise, which came about 6 a.m. at, the time, at that time of year. So, well, right, it's right, the spring, uh, right after the spring equinox, so the days would be evenly divided. So the ninth hour was 3 p.m. So Jesus Christ died right in the middle of the period when the Passover lambs were being killed, emphasizing the fact that he was our Passover. Now, there's a lot of confusion about this because... The Bible says the Jews' Passover. It appears that the Jews' Passover was the day after the real Passover. So there's a lot of confusion about dates. And of course, the Jews, they go by the new moon, which uh, the new moon can occur before the spring equinox. It can occur after, well, they always do it before the spring equinox. So that uh, 
their calendar can be off by fully two weeks every year. Okay? And so and then if the new moon occurs on the same day as the spring equinox, then they count that as the uh, beginning of the year. But there's nothing in the Bible that says we should be looking for a new moon. And that's a difficult proposition anyway. So you have to wait till you see the crescent. And there's nothing in the Bible about watching for the crescent. So that's why we simply go by the equinox, which is easily determined. And it's the, it's the day in which it's 12 hours of night, 12 hours a day, and the sun rises exactly in the east and exact, sets exactly in the west. And then that evening is the first begins the first day of the year. That is the first Sabbath of the year. So let's continue. So the next day, the 15th day of Nisan, began the seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread because that next day was a Sabbath, the regular Sabbath, which is day 15 of the calendar. We find this in Leviticus 23, 6 to 8, quote, And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread made unto Yahweh. Seven days ye must eat unleavened bread. In the first day ye shall have a convocation. That's a Sabbath. Ye shall not do any servile work therein, but ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto Yahweh seven days. In the seventh day is a holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein. Okay, that's true of all Sabbaths. We're not supposed to do any servile work. But the Israelites on the day before were eating eating the Passover they were eating the Passover on, the, on that uh, 14th day. But we hallow it as a, a special Sabbath because that is the day on which Yahshua shed his blood for us and was crucified. Okay, so let's continue. Like all the other festivals and rituals of the Old Testament, this Feast of Unleavened Bread is symbolic of Jesus Christ and his ministry. Amen. Hold on, let me take a swig of my morning tea here. Leaven was a symbol of sin. Its fermentation is actually, uh, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, is actually symbolic of Judaism, that we're not supposed to listen to these to these kike uh, religions, religious leaders. We're not supposed to listen to them. And identity is about the only religion that understands this. Let's continue. Leaven was a symbol of sin, its fermentation being perhaps thought of as as similar to putrefaction. The way just a little... That doesn't make sense. Okay. Just a little leaven introduced into the dough would soon spread through it all. Hence, we find Jesus Christ warning his disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Matthew 16, verses 6 to 12. Since Jesus Christ was the bread of life, as explained in John 6, the fact that, one, Jesus Christ has saved us by his death in our place on the cross, followed by, two, the fact that our lives are thereafter sustained by his power, is symbolized by the Passover, 
followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Jesus Christ's perfection, free from all sin, is symbolized by the use of unleavened bread. Okay. So, I think the case he is making for the fact that Christianity is the continuation of Old Testament religion is really solid. It's absolutely solid. Bertrand Compare is doing an outstanding job of connecting the dots between the Old Testament rituals and New Testament memorials. And we're still supposed to practice the feast days as memorials. Then he continues, The third of the spring feasts, first fruits, came before the end of unleavened bread. Okay, yeah, and that occurred on day 16. That was a the feast of the wave sheaf symbolized his resurrection and ascension into heaven. Okay, so all of these Old Testament feast days and rituals pointed to his coming and his first and second advents. The Jews claim there is nothing in the Old Testament pointing to a second coming. But here it is, right here. This it's 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 in the feast days. The feast days are prophetic. They're not just you know uh, some, something you do every year. They prophesy the first advent and the second advent. And maybe I'll do a, a study on that. On when is Christmas today? Wow, it's actually, oh, it's a Sunday. It's two weeks from today. So maybe we'll do a, sh- a show about that because uh, the, we are supposed to memorialize these feast days. So let's continue. Although Christmas isn't a feast day of, of Israel, uh, I have a, I believe that that was actually the day of his conception, and we, we'll talk about that. So let's continue. All right, uh, so... It is mentioned the uh, Passover was the first fruits festival. The first fruits festival is mentioned in many places. Exodus 23.16, 34.22, Leviticus 23.10, verses 1 through 4. Oh, 23 verses 10 through 14, sorry. Numbers 18.12 through 13, 28.16, Deuteronomy 18.4, to 11. Again, uh, since I put this link in the chat room, I highly... I recommend that you get this document printed out and study it carefully. And the entire ritual is given in Deuteronomy 26, 1 through 11. And it shall be, when thou art come unto the land which Yahweh thy God giveth thee for an inheritance, and possessed it, and dwellest therein, that thou shalt not take of the first of all thy fruits of the earth, that thou shalt take, sorry, that thou shalt take, of the first of all the fruits of the earth, which thou shalt bring out of the land that Yahweh thy, thy God giveth thee, and thou shalt put it in a basket and shall go unto the place which Yahweh thy God shall choose to place his name there, that was Jerusalem, and thou shalt go unto the priest that shall be in those days and say unto him, quote, I profess this day unto Yahweh thy God that I am come unto thy country, 
unto the country which Yahweh swore unto our fathers for to give us. And the priest shall take a basket out of thine hand and set it down before the altar of Yahweh thy God. And thou shalt speak and say before Yahweh thy God, quote, Assyrian ready to perish was my father. Well, the Aramites, we, we are related to the Aramites, but all of the women that the Israelite men married, the, the direct sons of Israel, married were Aramaic women. Those are Syrians. Assyrian was ready to perish. My Assyrian ready to perish was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned with a few. Okay, so this is a reference to again, even even Jacob. Uh, you know, he got his wives from Aram. From Aram, so the Aramaeans were always close relatives to the Israelites. And uh, we should consider them such as such. Although there were times when we fought against this, the Syrians as well. But the Israelites fought amongst themselves as well. So what else is new? And uh, so Assyrian ready to perish was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there with a few, and became there a nation, a great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians evil entreated us, and afflicted us, and laid upon us hard bondage. And when we cried unto Yahweh, God of our fathers, Yahweh heard our voice, and looked on our affliction and our labor, and our oppression. And Yahweh brought us forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and with an outstretched arm, and with great terribleness, and with signs and with wonders. And he hath brought us into this place, and hath given us this land, even a land that flowed with milk and honey. And now, behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which thou, O Yahweh, hast given me. All right, this verse, this section of Deuteronomy, hold on, folks, I think I'm going to have to sneeze. I'm going to have to mute my mic. Okay, back. All right, so this quotation, there is a lot, 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 lot going on here. Let me first uh, double check here. Okay, yeah, uh, Nimble Horse is putting a lot of uh, word studies in the chat room, and maybe we'll have time to visit those before the end of the show. But this, this quotation that we just read from is highly significant. So, a lot of identians, there's a disagreement as to when the feast days were actually begun to be celebrated by the Israelites. A lot of people say that the feast days were begun during the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. That is not true. They were practicing the feast days during the wandering in the wilderness. Obviously, they could not practice this Passover ritual because they did not have lambs, (laughs) right? They did not have houses to put the blood of the lamb on. 
they weren't yet farmers. They were being fed with uh, manna. They were practicing the Sabbath because Yahweh told them, when the Sabbath comes, I want you to rest from whatever you're doing out here in the wilderness, you know, gathering food, etc. You know, other food besides manna. But even manna, they had to go out and gather. So they were practicing the Sabbath. They were given the rituals which they had to perform once they invaded Palestine. But they did not practice these rituals until they invaded Palestine. So that was, and we have determined the exact date, that was the, the uh, sorry, they invaded Palestine at the spring equinox 1406 B.C. So they occupied, they drove out the, the Edomites from that area, and they gathered the, the harvest that was ready for themselves to practice these feast days. Okay? That's what they did. And they had lambs. They simply took the lambs that, the, that were already there and used those for the first Passover. But they did not have any lambs for Passover until that date. So they weren't doing these feast days in those days. So they had to wait until they invaded Palestine. So that's uh, it's more complicated than that. Even there's uh, several other quotations from Exodus that apply here, but that's the that's the gist of it. So let's continue. The people in general have never shown any ability to understand the deeper truths of religion, <laughs> and unfortunately, neither do the pastors. Only a very few, upon whom rests the spirit of God, have ever understood. Therefore. To keep the rituals in the mind of the people, Moses had to give an explanation simplified within the range of comprehension of the average man. Therefore, he, and of course, these were still very rebellious people. Therefore, he, he tied in the festival of the first fruits with the idea of expressing gratitude to God for his gift of the promised land. But the promised land of Canaan was only for this world, a temporary value. What was the true promised land, the one which was eternal? It must necessarily be resurrection and continued life after the death of this fallen body. Therefore, that is the true symbolism of the festival of the first fruits. And that is the fulfillment which Jesus Christ gave it. On the morning after the Sabbaths, he was resurrected. He demonstrated to reality the reality of the redemption he had given us. And this was on the exact day of the festival of first fruits. He always fulfilled the great reality on the exact day of the festival, which symbolized that reality. That is tremendous. That is absolutely accurate. I, I couldn't have said it any better. So we have these three dates as they are given in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, First is the Feast of Passover. Then is the Passover Sabbath, which is a regular Sabbath on the calendar. And then the day after that is the Wave Sheaf, the Feast of First Fruits. They're consecutive, just as the Old Testament says. Now, for example, 
The Jews do not practice them in consecutive order like the Bible says they should. They always finagle their calendar so that their Passover it must be on a Friday. It doesn't have to be on a Friday. It has to be on the 14th day. So Passover is always the 14th day. The Passover Sabbath is always on the 15th day. And the first fruits is always on the 16th day, just as is specified in the Bible. But because the Jews incorporate the moon into their worship, they have to arrange these. Sometimes they have more than one day between the Passover and the Sabbath. And since they don't harvest any grain, how can they even celebrate the wave sheaf? They don't do any harvesting. They're not farmers. So you can see the many ways in which the Jews simply fail to uh, fulfill any of these prophecies. So let's continue. He carried out the symbolism of the first fruits to the exact letter. In Leviticus 23, 10, 11, it is commanded that the first fruits offering shall be a sheaf of grain, a number of stalks, each with its head containing many individual grains. And the priest shall take the sheaf and wave it, that is, publicly display it before Yahweh. Now here I have to interject again because since it wasn't until the, the days that the hundred years before Yahshua walked the earth that the Edomite Jews began practicing our religion and pretending to be us when the, when the Edomites had dominion over Judah in the days of Herod. But I don't believe that any Edomites ever practiced these rituals. Certainly not the wave sheaf. But they pretend to do that. Okay? So their feast days are all pretense. Pretense, pretense, and more pretense. And they go through their own rituals. <laughs> right? They go through their own rituals. But I don't see them gathering any grain to do the wave sheaf. And no Jew, no Jewish quote-unquote priest ever did that either. Those are always Judahite priests. Those were Levites. And the Levites were still there to do this. Okay? But their services were no longer required after the resurrection. <laughs> okay? Those were not Jews who did that. Those were Levites, Judahites who did that. Again, you have to make this huge distinction between Jews and Judahites, or Edomite Jews and Judahites, to be precise. So let's continue. It must necessarily be the resurrection and continued life after the death of this fallen body. And of course, copyright ties it to our own deaths, that if we die in grace having committed not too many sins and repented of them, okay, then you are very likely to return, as Paul says, that those who have fallen, those who are in the grave, will be resurrected, and we will meet them here in the flesh. We will still be, some of us will still be in the flesh when this happens, and we will all be transformed into our glory bodies, and we will be the kingdom at that point. 
That's what the Bible tells us. It's not that we will go up into the sky, into some off-planet heaven. No, the kingdom is coming down to this earth. But our transformation into our glory bodies will still happen. But those Israelites who who are gone and will come back, they're already in their glory bodies waiting to return. So let's continue. Well, I wouldn't say they're already in their glory bodies. They have qualified for their glory bodies already. Let me put it that way. All right. But the promised land of Canaan was only for this world a temporary value. What was the true promised land? The one which was eternal. Okay. It must necessarily be the resurrection and continued life after the death of this fallen body. Very good, Bertrand Comperay. Very good. Therefore, this is the true symbolism of the festival of the first fruits and that this is the fulfillment which Jesus Christ gave it. On the morning after the Sabbath, he was resurrected to demonstrate the reality of the redemption he had given us, and this was on the exact day of the festival of first fruits. He always fulfilled the great reality on the exact day of the festival, which was which symbolized that reality. I could not have said it any better. Good job, Bertrand Comparet. He carried out the symbolism of the first fruits to the exact letter. In Leviticus 23, verses 10 through 11, it is commanded that the first fruits offering shall be a sheaf of grain, a number of stalks, each with its head containing many individual grains, etc. I read it before, but uh, it's, it's worth repeating. And the priest shall take the sheaf and wave it, that is, publicly display it, do Jews ever do anything like this? We're supposed to do this, okay? I mean, in commemoration. We can do this in commemoration. We are still an agrarian people. The Jews are not. And publicly display it before Yahweh. Pastor Steve, when he was walking with us in, in this ministry, he would blow the shofar, the horn. And uh, you know, we, would, we would practice the, these feast days in commemoration. Okay? In commemoration. Let's continue. When Jesus Christ was resurrected, he did not rise alone. Matthew 27, 53 tells us that, quote, the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many... Proof that we that we have souls that live on in the other world while we still walk this one. Thus, he fulfilled the symbolism of the wave sheaf containing many individual grains by resurrecting many persons when he rose as the first fruits from the dead and making a public display of his victory over death. Now, wouldn't that be glorious? that each of us could proclaim victory over death. Oh, I see Visser's back in the chat room. Okay, so God, yes, Nibblehorse, God so loved this order of arrangement. Okay, and, and Visser, you still simply believe Bill Fink's lies. Sorry, folks, for this interruption. 
that name I chose simply as a stage name when I was in a rock and roll band for 20 years, which I explained when I was doing talk show. Okay? So, Visser, you are simply wrong about everything. But let's continue. All right. So, let's see. That is the correct interpretation, that is his victory over death, of the symbolism that is shown by Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, 20-23. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For is in Adam, as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards they that are Christ's at his coming. Let's continue. The first fruits festival came at the time of the barley harvest, for the barley harvest ripened several weeks before the wheat. The offering of the first fruits at the temple was of only a small amount, a mere token, as a pledge that when the major harvest that of the wheat was brought in, the full tithe of the grain harvest would be brought to the temple. This was to be done at what the Bible calls the Feast of Weeks, that's Pentecost, of course, and which the churchmen, with the usual specialist delight in developing a jargon of their own, have chosen to call Pentecost. Jesus Christ knew and respected the symbolism here involved. At first fruits, he did not bring all the magnificent gifts he would give to his followers. He brought just a token resurrection of a few persons to show how great would be his eventual gift to us, to Adam kind, is how I would have, he says to men, I would have say, said to Adam kind. And since Visser is not a member of Adam kind, <laughs> he deems to lecture us on what we should believe. However, men must live out their lives under all the usual circumstances of this world before they reach the stage of death and resurrection, so they need another gift before that time. What they need to bring let's see, what they need to bring them there's too many words here. What they need to bring triumphantly through this life is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ had promised them this gift in John fourteen sixteen through 18, quote, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Yeah, that other world. Remember, there's two different worlds. There's the world of Israel, and there's the world of the heathen. That world cannot receive this truth. Because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye, ye Israelites, know him. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you, unquote. And that, of course, is the Holy Spirit, which the apostles and other Israelites received at the Feast of Pentecost, 33 A.D. So at the time of first fruits. Jesus Christ demonstrated the reality of his gift of resurrection by bringing several of the dead to life, 
It was not yet time for actual resurrection to come to everyone, so this was just a token given in pledge of the final harvest. With this proof, everyone could wait in serene confidence. Well, (laughs) Uh, yes, if you really are settled with this truth, serene confidence for what was yet to come. But we've had 2,000 years of tribulation in between. And those of us who understand all this can be very serene in the fact that there will be a second resurrection, a last resurrection of Israel. The rest of the harvest for Adam kind was to be demonstrated in its own good time at the Feast of Weeks. Okay, so that is the fulfillment of the fall festivals. Yahshua in the flesh fulfilled the spring festivals, but he was not with us. Oh, actually, he appeared to the Israelites, I guess you could say in the flesh, because wasn't that the time when Doubting Thomas put his hand in the physical wound of Christ? So he was in his glory body, which appeared to be physical, and Thomas could not make a distinction between that body and when Jesus walked the earth with him just a few months before. But all this still only applies to Israelites. Only Israelites will qualify for the glory body. The other races, perhaps viscer included, (laughs) will get a blessing and be allowed into the kingdom if they repent of their sins if they repent of their lies, maybe Yahweh will take uh, pity on Visser. It's not his fault that he's uh, a Cherokee. The rest of the harvest for man was to be demonstrated in its own good time at the Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks was celebrated on the 50th day after the first fruits, as specified in Leviticus 23, 15-21. Quote, And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. And even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall ye number fifty days. And ye shall offer a new meal offering unto Yahweh. Ye shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two tenths deals. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits unto Yahweh. And I I understand the reason they shall be baked with leaven is because the Israelites, unlike Yahshua, were not sinless. All of us have committed sin, and we can repent of those sins and not commit those sins anymore, but we are not sinless. None of us have ever been sinless. So that's what that symbolizes. That's why they're baked with leaven. They are the first first fruits unto Yahweh. And you shall offer with the bread seven lambs without blemish of the first year, and one young bullock and two rams. They shall be for a burnt offering unto Yahweh, with their meal offering and their drink offerings, even an offering made by fire of savor unto Yahweh. Then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and two lambs of the first year for a sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits 
for a wave offering before Yahweh with the two lambs. They shall be holy to Yahweh for the priest, and ye shall proclaim on the selfsame day that it may be a holy convocation unto you. Ye shall do no servile work therein. It shall be a statute forever in your dwellings throughout your generations. Okay, so we are to perform the Feast of Pentecost. Now, uh, very interesting. So, uh, if if, uh, Visser is still in the chat room, let me inform you that uh, you're the person you're believing these lies from, namely William Fink. Fink teaches that all mamsers should be killed and that all white people can kill any mamser anytime they please. So this is the this is the liar you believe who says that I'm a Jew or that I'm a universalist? This is the guy you believe? Let let him do unto you as he will. <laughs> no, actually I didn't mean that. I was saying that because I have no intention of killing you, but Fink says he can and has every right to, and that Yahweh says he he should. So this is the guy you're following? Sorry. All right. We just have a little time left. (laughs) Even Hitler didn't do that. Hitler didn't kill people uh, because he simply believed that he could. No. That was a war between our people and the Jews. And war, of course, is a completely different story. So let's continue. We have about eight minutes left. This tremendously fine document. We're only halfway through because there's so much going on in this article that you have to be aware of as an Israelite that uh, you must take this to heart. Okay. He says, note here some contrasts which are intended to make clear the different things symbolized. In the Feast of the first fruits. The symbolism was that of Jesus Christ resurrected as the first fruits from the dead. Since leaven symbolizes sin, there could not be any leaven in the offerings made in the day of first fruits. Along with the sheaf of barley, the Israelite was to offer a he lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering, which symbolizes Jesus Christ offered to pay the penalty of our sins. There was also to be an offering of fine flour mingled with oil, but not baked into a leavened loaf nor could any leaven be included in the offering, as first fruits must symbolize Jesus Christ, who was without sin. But the Feast of Weeks, also called Pentecost, does not directly represent Jesus Christ. It symbolizes the true church, or the true ecclesia, congregation of Israel, and Jesus Christ's gift of the Holy Spirit to the church. Excellent. I tried to say that before I interjected, and I think he is saying the same thing here. Even the very best of men have some sins. Let us all pause and reflect on our own sins. (laughs) Even when called by Jesus Christ to be part of his church. Therefore, the wave loaves which symbolize the church were made with leaven. Okay, the loaves. Note also that the Feast of Firstfruits, there was the offering of a sheaf of stalks of barley each stalk having its head containing many individual grains, this symbolizing the many individuals to whom Jesus Christ brings the gift of life and resurrection. With the call to form his church, 
All the believers become part of the one body, the church, as Paul points out in 1 Corinthians 10, 16 through 17, saying, quote, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? For we, being many, are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. That's our DNA, folks. Unblemished DNA. Israelite DNA. Therefore, the offering at the Feast of Weeks is no longer a sheaf containing a a multitude of individual grains, but of the wave loaf symbolizing the many believers now become one church. This is outstanding. Uh, Obviously, the Jews don't teach anything like this. They are all sinners, <laughs> and there's no none sinless among them. What do they think that? Uh, oh, okay. Well, here's how here's how they interpret it. You're probably aware that the Jews have been looking for that red heifer. That they they're teaching in the Talmud, not in the Bible, but in their Talmud it says that when the red heifer comes, then they can start building that third temple and resume animal sacrifice. So the red heifer and the blood moons and all of this Talmudic garbage that they teach and uh, that their Messiah will come all dependent upon that third temple in which, now wait a minute, if their Messiah comes and the Old Testament clearly says that the Messiah must die for the sins of Israel, are they going to have to kill their Messiah in order to sacrifice him in the third temple that they built? Come on, they got to be true to the word, which of course they never are. So if they have this Jewish Messiah, is he going to be sinless? And will they sacrifice this Jew in either case? I would hate to be that Messiah. I don't think any Jew will volunteer for that. But being true to the Bible, that's what they must do. And of course, they won't do that because Messiah will never be a Jew. He can only be an Israelite. And we know that he was here 2,000 years ago. But he will come again in his glory body to kick Jewish butt. That's what's going to happen. All right? So, everything we believe in Christian identity is being born, is being verified here in Bertrand Compare's analysis of all the symbolism. This is very good, Bertrand. Excellent job. Okay? So, uh, let, let me... Uh, uh, I'll pick this up next week because there's a, uh, we're only halfway through this document. So, th- this is really good stuff for us to keep in mind. So, so all of these lousy prophecies, now here, the, the same is happening. The Jews are befuddling the Judeo Christians who actually believe that the Bible prophesies the building of a third temple. The Bible says no such thing. This is Talmudic nonsense. It's not biblical teaching. And until our blood relatives, the Caucasian Israelites who believe this nonsense, wake up, 
and understand what the Bible is really teaching about us and about the Jews, how can they repent? They're following that Jewish Jesus, whom they believe to be a Jew, but whom the Jews utterly reject. So do you actually believe, Christian Zionist, do you actually believe that a physical Jew of that tribe which is loaded with sin can bring forth a sinless Jew to be their Messiah? It can happen. Take a look around. See if you can find a sinless Jew. Furthermore, the Jews teach that they are their own Messiah. Are they going to sacrifice each other in the third temple that they build? It's it's so full of nonsense, it's laughable. It's utterly laughable. So, we hope, we pray. In fact, let me pray for them right now. Father Yahweh, open the eyes of your befuddled Christian Zionists who actually believe that a third temple must be built, a red heifer must be found, and uh, some sinless Jew will appear, and that this is all going to happen before the second coming? No. The second coming does not depend on any of this. And no Jew, no blood Jew, no Edomite Jew, and the others that are with them can possibly fulfill any of this because they are not your people, Israel. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh, pass the ammunition. See you all next week. Stick around for Voice of Christian Israel. Yahweh bless everybody. Bye-bye. Be